Hey, welcome to 9394. When I was like 16, 17, 18 years old, I was in one of the many bands that I've been in in my life. This one was called Punk Like Urson, and this band was, well, a punk band, funnily enough. And in that band was my friend Morgan Peake, who's been on this show, and my friend Derek Fern, who's been on this show. My dearly departed friend Brandon Harview, who I would love nothing more than to sit down and have a conversation with him again. And my dear, dear friend Steve Guile, who was really one of my best friends in high school. Uh, That's such a high school term, I guess, best friends. You know, you don't really talk about that as you get older ordinarily. But, you know, welcome to the Reliving My Peak Years podcast. And all of us as good friends were really into punk rock. And above all, one of the albums that we all had in common as being one that we kept high on the pedestal of what influenced us was Punk and Drublick from NoFX. This album was just burned into everyone in that band and everyone in my friend group. You know, Steve and I uh, lost touch for many, many years, and it's really awesome that we've rekindled in the past few years our mutual friend Aaron, who has also been on this show, Aaron Worley. Invited us both over for Thanksgiving the same year after we'd spent like a decade or more just kind of falling out of touch. And since then, we've really rekindled our friendship. And it was really nice to have this conversation with him and to be able to record it and share it with you guys. He did start like a true best friend. He did start the episode with an incredibly incriminating story about me that I absolutely had to cut out. I actually, (laughs) I really wanted to leave it in, but like, (laughs) there's just no fucking way I can have it out there in the world and people knowing that about me. Uh, If you know me personally and are curious, by all means, reach out. Otherwise, sorry, Um, you'll just have to live with what you hear in this episode. So here's me and Steve talking about this album that was like fluid in our veins through our high school years and beyond. Punk and Drublick. How are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> doing good, dude. Good to see your face. You're still. Oh. The first question, good sir. Tell the good people how we know one another, please. Oh, Jesus. Uh, we <laughs> <laughs> hung out like almost every day for a while there in high school. Mm-hmm. I had a spot next to Gracie on the couch. <laughs> my dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you pretty much lived there yeah. <laughs> for much of my senior year and summer afterwards. Lots of crazy antics. Like, uh, I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> my main uh, memory of your mother is, of course, Swiss cake rolls. She kept me. Uh, nice and chubby by always keeping Swiss cake rolls in the house. You're the only one who ate them. She, <laughs> she bought, bought them, them just for you. Just for me. Very sweet. <laughs> very, well, very we, sweet. Were, we were in a band together back then. So you were always over at the house. Yes. We were jamming in the basement. 
Yes, you, you were not just at my house. I was at your house all the time because we were in a band together with the terrible name for so many reasons of punk like Urson. <laughs> just a failure of a name on multiple levels. We should have called it like uh, Bro and even Palm Mute. <laughs> <laughs> we made fun of a very nice young man who we went to school with whose last name was Urson. Yeah. Who we deemed a poser, uh, which is lame. And then, of course, like everyone that we try to book shows with would be like, punk like what? Ursine, what? <laughs> yep. And then, of course, also, like by the end of the time we were a band, we were like kind of moving away from being punk, and it just didn't really make a ton of sense for <laughs> it to be in the name. But my favorite memory of punk like Ursin, of course, is uh, your drum kit. What did it say? Feces equals fun across your drum kit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What's more punk rock than that? <laughs> oh, it's tight. <laughs> Uh, it was funny claiming to be more punk than anyone else, especially uh, with this album. I don't think the Ranger's going <laughs> to like this, Yogi. This guy's more punk than me. Oh, hell. Yeah, we did not take the lesson from that song, apparently. <laughs> but we did cover Linoleum. Oh, no, we covered um, Leave It Alone. Yeah, and probably Linoleum, too, at some point. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of Because everyone has. <laughs> it was punk rock tradition, right? You have to cover that. All right, so we'll get deeper into the album that we're here to discuss. Of course, No Effects' classic punk rock album, Punk and Drublick. Do you remember how you came to the album when you first got into it? I remember having very little money to go out and buy CDs around this time. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, I don't think I had my first job yet, so it was like mowing lawns or babysitting or something. And yeah. albums would trickle in, like, you know, once per quarter I might get an album. So I just <laughs> had like five that I loved. I put them on repeat and... This one is evergreen. It never got boring to me, and I've been listening to it repeatedly like since, whatever, 94, 95, whenever I picked it up. Nice. How about you? You know, my memory is a fucking block of Swiss cheese, but I actually have a really clear memory of this because I don't know if you remember the skate store, like they sold like skate gear, uh, Metro Trend in Waterford. No. My brother Judd loved that place, and he was all about punk rock. We talked about it on the episode he did with me recently, talking about bad religion. And I remember going to Metro Trend in his little dinky-ass whatever-the-fuck car he drove in high school. And because he and I had been, like, big fans of Rib. So when this came out, we went together, and he got it from that store. And I remember, like, driving away from the store, listening to it in his car. And I believe we had to pull over when— We can't um, pull over any farther. <laughs> We had to pull over when My Heart is Yearning came on because once Fat Mike started singing, we were laughing so hard. <laughs> we were just like fucking dying. Oh, I thought that was Hefe singing. Is that Hefe? I've never known, I guess. I just assumed it was Fat Mike. Maybe it is Hefe. Hey, this is Travis checking in real quick. It looks like this issue over who sings the lyrics on this is something that there's a lot of back and forth on. I looked all over the place on the internet trying to find for sure confirmation of who's singing vocals on that song. And finally I ended up at Epitaph's website and their website actually gives the personnel for each song and they say that Fat Mike actually does do the vocals on this song. But a lot of people think that this one was El Jefe for whatever reason. I remember thinking that when I was a kid too. 
CD liner notes, which I got right here. Oh, nice. I even dug mine out of storage. It's downstairs somewhere. Having an older brother means that, like, you know, you can burn or record. There was no burning CDs at that point. In fact, there wasn't a lot of CDs at that point. But I made a copy of his. And then eventually he went to, you know, he went to the Marines and got married and, like, left before I graduated high school. So I had to buy the album on my own on CD. But, yeah, always had it. And, yeah, this is, like, it's on the Mount Rushmore of punk albums. I don't see it just as being an important no effects album or an important album of 1994. To me, it feels like one of the most important albums ever, not just for me, but like for us, like all of us. Absolutely. And if you wanted to make the Mount Rushmore of punk albums, you could just make it like Sandin, Melvin, Hefe, <laughs> Fat that Mike. Would work. <laughs> that would work. There's your four. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, this is, I think, the main album of one of the main bands of the newest school of punk, or at least our wave of punk. I don't know what's the newest. That's me on the beach side, combing the sand, metal meter in my hand, sporting a pocket full of change. That's me on the street with the fire in under my chin, laying with a grin, singing gibberish. All right, so what, if you have a gun to your head, if you had to say, what is the best song on this album for you? I mean, we just talked about it. It's Linoleum. It's so fucking easy. It's iconic. It rips. It's nonstop, too, because there's no chorus in it. So it just goes bam, 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 like all the way through. Mm. It's fast. I remember when we used to play in a band, like you would totally whiplash me all the time. (laughs) Not quite my tempo. Am I rushing? Uh, dragging. You're dragging just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> dragging. Dragging. Yeah, I definitely remember playing this one together. I, I remember Leave It Alone playing it together more because Morgan would always go straight into Dig uh, next. <laughs> always. Just the first few notes of Dig. Yes. For me, I got to say my favorite song on this album is Rico. Rico. For one, again, we learned some wrong lessons from this album. We learned, like, oh, you're supposed to fuck shit up if you're a punk rock party or you destroy your friend's homes. But I love the way it like, takes like the theme of like a party and the theme of like the tail end of American prosperity and kind of compares those two, which is really clever. And I love also that this whole album, but especially this song, is infused with just the slightest smidgen of ska, you know, just like just a little tip of the hat to ska. Absolutely. I like that about it. And it just has a different feel than the rest of the album, which is not a bad thing. I think also the only punk album to have steel drums on it. <laughs> I'd hazard a guess. Mm-hmm. 
you brought up to me in our texting the producer of this album, uh, Ryan Green. Let's first of all talk about how amazing Ryan Green is. So, like, he established the Fat Record sound, and it started right here with this album. Every previous No Effects album sounded like it was fucking recorded underwater in comparison to this one. <laughs> That's true. But they still kept the fuzz. It's still warbly, but the attacks and decays are so fucking sharp. It's like watching 4K Blu-ray versus like streaming and realizing the screen actually fades to black rather than giant muddy gray <laughs> pixels. <laughs> but uh, his credits include like all the epics from the punk rock era that we're most familiar with. So we got Lagwagon, Strung Out, Good Riddance, No Use, Pulley, Propagandi, Guttermouth, High Standard, a personal favorite of mine, Screw 32, too bad for the podcast, that was 1997, 10-Foot <laughs> Pole, Me First of the Gimme Gimmies, Big Wig, Nerf Herder, Megadeth, and as expected, Usher's 2008 album, Here I Stand. Not to mention Jay-Z, Mr. Big, Wilson Phillips. Uh, yeah. Cheap Trick, Patti LaBelle, Gladys Knight, the guy who casts a wide net, it seems. Yeah, I, I think he was tangentially related with some of those. Like, I know he worked with Madonna. We were talking about this. Uh, Madonna had, like, her own little bit of, like, Warner Brothers, I think it was. Oh. Like, and she just got to sign whoever she wanted, and she signed a rap metal band called Proper Grounds in, like, 1992. Yeah, that was her that was responsible for Proper Grounds? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> She's cooler than what she gets credit for. Yeah. Transitive property. I think Ryan Green has worked with like pretty much everyone. <laughs> what about the most underrated song? Is there like a song that you think doesn't get enough play? Doesn't get enough love? So we talked about it with Rico, but there is a narrative aspect to no effects. It could be like Johnny Cash or Sam Cooke. Like it's sort of every man style. It is. And so scavenger type. Gigging alone at the bottom of the hill Our protagonist named Bill Sets his sights on an anchor steep point All he needs is 13 quarters Congregated in his hat when you toss it on and like linoleum just rips your fucking hair back or whatever like yeah and then you end with that it was always nice back in the old days when you had like the one disc in your car and, and the album would just continue and you just run it back like oh I, I can't turn off linoleum oh here's leave it alone i can't turn that off then there's a quick transition into dig that morgan loved like can't shut that up <laughs> room and board inside of of comfort. And it's a 40 minute album that just burns through so quickly because each song just has like such momentum. Yeah. But I do miss that about CD players and cars. I would typically like get an album, put it on, and it wouldn't leave my CD player for a month or so at a time. I just put it on repeat. But Scavenger Hunt and Linoleum, what great bookends for this album, right? They're so thematically similar. I can't imagine that that's an accident. Yeah. And I agree, like this everyman thing that's going on in this album, this album is really concerned and interested in like transience and vagrancy and like poor punk rock and that kind of stuff. It's really peopled with like very specific characters, almost like the ghost of Tom Joad by Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, and incredibly relevant now. I mean, I think mm. there's a lot of Bay Area references in this and thinking about what rents are down there, <laughs> the fucking Silicon Valley tax that everyone has to pay. Yeah. Scavenger Type, I agree. It's a great album ender, and it's certainly a song that 
I don't really hear people talking about it the way I hear people talk about Linoleum or some of the other songs from this album, Dying Degree and stuff. That to me is one of the ones that has always stuck out most to me in this album. On the other end of that spectrum, is there a weak song on this album or is it solid all the way through? I don't think Don't Call Me White holds up. <laughs> don't call me white. Don't call me white. Don't call me white. Don't call me white. Dude. It's the I'm not like the other girls. (laughs) 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 And it's just chock full of interrogatives that just shoehorned in there. Like, I I can't tell you. It's, It's cringy to me now. It is. The only more egregious song they have is uh, The Cheese, Where's My Slice? <laughs> if you take it at face value, like if it was satire, like, yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome. But uh, I think they were serious. Uh, yeah, I actually went and looked up an interview, Fat Mike, and he was like complaining about people wanting to be called specific things based on whatever their culture is. I'm like, well, that's that's not really yours to complain about, I guess. <laughs> but it was 94, so I mean, he was... A young man, I don't know that he would feel that way today, but I kind of thought the same. Not musically, it's not weak, but lyrically, it is cringy. Yeah, musically, it's a fun song to play. I think we probably played that, or I know I did in the basement. Yeah. Oh, you know what? On the other hand, though, a song that I think holds up really well is Lori Myers for being like sex worker positive and just being like, yes. who the hell are you to try and tell me how to live? As far as the themes of that one goes, it's like, oh, this is a little ahead of its time here. Yeah. Uh, featuring the dearly departed and fucking most amazing singer, Kim Shattuck. Of the Muffs. Of the Muffs. Who I believe had an album out that year as well. No, I think it was the year before. Maybe 93, yeah. The eponymous album, I believe. Sounds right. But yeah, she wailed so hard, Captain Ehab would be ashamed. Yeah, very kick-ass. Yeah, I'm glad that we seem to have some similar thoughts here. Do you have any other criticisms about the album in general? Uh, not really. It holds up. This was the album where Fat Mike started to learn to sing. How, like you, how, can, how, you can hear it in the secret track, how, like Cafe Telephone. Like, how, how, how did the cat? How? How, how, how did the cat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and despite their claims of like uh, you know wolves and wolves clothing, there's the sixty uh, percent song. Like, oh, we're only giving sixty percent, but like they've always tried to get better. Like. I think they've described in interviews like the decline was a challenge. This was something we wanted to do. Same for the newest one, the double album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they have that kind of slacker mentality that they seem to put forward. But in reality, I think that they have loftier goals in that. I mean, if you look at like what they did earlier on and then they got El Jefe involved and picked things up a notch and then they clearly picked things up a notch here and then the decline. And now, of course, they're on their supposedly final tour and I guess... Fat Mike is a museum curator now because he's helped open the punk rock museum in Las Vegas of all places. <laughs> Isn't it is like at his house or something? Is that where it's at? Is that why? I mean, I didn't know he lived in Vegas. That would explain why it's in Vegas. It's his house or his neighborhood or whatever. But now I have a reason to go to Vegas, I guess. <laughs> other than uh, just giving your money to other people. That's why I've never been to Vegas. I don't have any <laughs> money to give away. 
But if I ever get married, now I know where I can do it at the Punk Rock Museum and I can have Fat Mike show up as an officiant if I drop like a thousand bucks or something. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. So it sounds like this has never really left rotation for you. This is something that's kind of always stuck in your regular listening routine. Oh, definitely. It's nostalgic by now, but it still just holds up as an album on its own. I think this was also like a little bit of like a soberish period for them. Oh. I met a guy in Indianapolis. His name was Tim. Okay. And I don't know if he was like a tour manager, a band manager, equipment manager. He was just like, I used to manage something for no effects. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but then he told me too many stories that couldn't not be true. Oh, boy. He said at one point you could look at the front lawn where they were recording and you would see nothing, like no grass. It would just be beer cans and needles. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> and needles. Jesus. Yeah. And then System of a Down was playing at the Emerson in Indianapolis that night. And I was like, hey, are, are we going to go? And he's like, you know, I haven't paid to get into a show like in 20 years because I know too many people. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, right. He's right. like, no, all, all you need is a name and you'll figure it out. So he's like, I happen to know that the band manager at the time for System of a Down is another guy named Steve. So just, you know, drop the name at the door. So I walked up to the door. I was like, fucking you know 17 or something oh my god yeah i was like oh i've got uh i can't remember what i told him you know a delivery or like uh i'm a page or you know i was trying to think like what possible <laughs> job could i have that's related to system of i'm a page i'm, I'm a medieval <laughs> servant and, yeah. uh... <laughs> I, i'm squiring sir but so steve i'm also called steve <laughs> So, yeah, I walked right back. They said, oh, excuse it in the back in the tour bus. And to, you know, sell the bit, I was like, well, I guess I got to walk out of the back of the Emerson to the tour bus. I get in the tour bus <laughs> and system of a down is there. And they're telling war stories about like groupies they fucked while there are groupies on the bus. Oh, nice. It was fucking disgusting. So, yeah, immediately left. I don't think I even went to see the show. <laughs> I was just like, well, that works. If anything, it seems to have sort of confirmed the uh, legitimacy of your acquaintance, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's like the song, I'm Telling Tim. I always wondered if that was Tim. Oh. I'm telling Tim on you because he's the manager of something. Oh, that would make sense, right? Yeah. seen them live right absolutely how many times oh i couldn't say because there's you know work tour and all that mm -hmm. but just seeing like no effects no effects like headlining a show probably i don't know five times okay yeah i think i just saw them at warp tour i want to say 96 98 somewhere around there and then i saw them i guess at st andrews i think that's it you didn't see the clutch cargo show Someone was asking me about this recently, and I wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, I remember the one at Clutch Cargos because uh, they had to stop the show at some point because someone was getting too punk rock or whatever. <laughs> They're like, hey, all right, you're going to hurt someone. Can you please stop? Are you going to go on this last tour, this final tour? you going to try and catch them? 
I had plans with Blair and Dave to see them if they went to Portland because we figured they would have to go to Portland, but they've already been to Vancouver and Tacoma and it doesn't look like they're going to Portland. So if I'm going to catch them, it's going to have to be like St. Petersburg or Columbus, Ohio or some shit. And I'm not going unless someone else goes. And also if it was just them, that would be something. But it's like Warped Tour with two A's. So like W-A-A-R-P. Eating. Oh boy, I didn't know that. But yeah, I did see there's like six bands playing with them or something. I'm like, I don't want to watch all that. Yeah, there's, there's like a craft <laughs> beer component and they're selling like all these VIP tickets. So like you can take a shit in air conditioning or whatever. It's funny because it seems like the tour is not like they're playing like two shows in Ohio, but nothing north of that. I also don't buy that they'll ever be done. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I think they're sick of it now, but like, you know, they're going to get the itch again. Yeah, five years of working at a museum or, or whatever the <laughs> fuck. I can imagine being done with the road. Songwriting and playing like the occasional big show. I could see that happening from them. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, they, they are up there at this Back point. Back to the kitchen. I smell something burning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check out that carnival-ass cover art on the cover. <laughs> like this? Remember that show Carnival on HBO? Can't you see like Clancy Brown's face in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never really understood the connection between like two cowgirl, whatever the fucks. I never really understood this cover, but it strikes me as the kind of cover that someone else did for them. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like like heavy petting zoo. You know, they had a hand. in. Oh, that. yeah. It's <laughs> probably two hands. <laughs> gotcha. I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird cover, but this is on Epitaph. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Epitaph was by this point a little more professional. I don't know. What song do you want to use to go out on when we wrap this interview up? I want to do Linoleum. Linoleum? That's yeah. the one? Okay. Because there's no effects with fucking Avenged Sevenfold covering their own song. Wait, that's a real thing? Yeah. It's another okay. Fat Mike pun because he can't help uh, himself. He's a funny guy. Funny blue-haired, you know, <laughs> what is it? Octogenarian or whatever he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's definitely a blue hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of those. Find him in a Denny's. We were talking about scavenger type. I remember, uh, you know, I was whatever, 14, 15, had a very tradcath mother. <laughs> mm -hmm. So right. much so that she got a marriage annulled and ran off to a convent. That didn't take, but yeah, it was, she tried. She tried. But I remember she freaked out the first time she heard this sound, this punk rock sound, and it was oh. this album. And she got really angry, thought it was like, you know, Satan music or whatever. And I just handed her the liner notes and I was like, you can read what they're saying. She read scavenger type and she wept. Oh, and then she's like, you're good. Carry on. It's a sensitive album in a lot of it ways. Is. It even appealed to the crazy track. Yeah. I mean, you weren't allowed to watch the Simpsons. As I recall, it wasn't allowed to be on in your house, right? No, I had to go over to Blair's to watch it. <laughs> like you could be stopped. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good thing you didn't have her listen to my heart is yearning. She'd be sitting there trying to, is he is it dripping on my tongue, on my toe? What's he saying? <laughs> what's it what's dripping uh <laughs> but those lyrics aren't in the liner notes so <laughs> go figure and you know what going back to how you and i know each other i do have i guess it's probably my first memory of you i know it's not the first time we interacted and i know that i became friends with you through our mutual friend at the time andrew so i know that i became friends with you through him and i met you at his house what stands out to me most early on we were like freshmen 94 probably 95 
and I believe it was Mrs. Horrocks Bamer was up in front of the whole school, like trying to get everybody calmed down about something. And like in dead silence, you stood up and yelled, we don't give a good goddamn, <laughs> which uh, never left my memory. Just blatantly, we don't give a fuck about what you're talking about. That is not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go with the time that we'd known each other for a little bit by then, but Andrew's house when uh, we cut off all my long hair. Oh, yes, that was that was that was a fun night. Yeah, it was a fun night. I mean, we literally like took kitchen shears and just went and you had like very long hair. It was like middle of yeah. your back long. No, it wasn't that long. It was long. It was past your shoulders anyway. That's true. It was long hair. And uh I believe there was even a ponytail. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I used to wear a ponytail when I was playing baseball so I could get my hat on. Well, that makes sense. Oh, guys like Brandon Marsh and Mike Clevenger do it. Oh, I ask myself that on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> always thinking about baseball players and keeping their hats on plagues my mind every day <laughs> all right i have one last question for you not related to no effects or anything else punk rock i of course have a 90s question for you 90s trivia for real trivia this time usually i just ask people like hey what do you think of this what do you think of that but this time i actually have trivia for you okay I'm going to try and talk in uh, sports terms. I'm going to ask you about the 1994 March Madness moment, era, event, time frame. <laughs> okay. Championship. <laughs> Do you know who won that year? Uh, 94. Jesus. Uh, Duke. So Duke was in the final four. Okay. So I'll give you the final four. One of them was Duke, which I guess you now know is not them. The Arizona Wildcats, the Arkansas Razorbacks, and the Florida Gators. Uh, was it uh, Billy Donovan's first win in Florida? How the fuck would I know? I just looked this up on Wikipedia. I don't know. Was it Was it Florida? No, it wasn't. I mean, who won? No, it wasn't Florida. <laughs> so, a vote for two. You're <laughs> for two. Um, I feel like I won a sport. It was the Arkansas Razorbacks. Okay. It was a big year for the Razorbacks that year like Corliss Uh, Williamson I can't remember no who could (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea even what I'm 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 like doing this phonetically right now I'm like wild hats (laughs) (laughs) typically when I try and um, gear these specifically towards someone I fail miserably I figured (laughs) I couldn't really go wrong with basketball and you so (laughs) alright that was fun One of my oldest friends. So good to just reconnect with him. And in better connecting with him recently, he's gotten me back in touch with an old friend of ours who I've mentioned a few times on this show, including in this episode, our old friend Andrew Johnson. So shout out to Andrew. It's really great to reconnect with old friends. I mean, we were all just so fucking tight back in the day. We were a very large crew of people, and it was not uncommon for us to storm the halls of our high school chanting that we were the Brews. 
All of us fucking Gentiles, uh, for the most part. But, you know, punk rock is a great unifier, and this has been one of the most unifying albums of my life. So, thanks for coming around and listening to us talk about it. It was great to have Steve on. Uh, I think he's going to come back on. I look forward to that. And you could come on the show, too. Perhaps you're a 10-foot pole fan. Uh, a lot of my friends were pen- a lot of my friends were 10 foot pole a lot of my friends were 10 foot oh my god a lot of my friends were 10 foot pole fans I could hardly fucking even say it but uh, I didn't really listen to them hardly ever at all never got into them very much of the era though they released two albums from that time period they released Rev and Swill so if you want to come on and talk about either one of those albums Come on down. Let's do it. Let's talk about 10-foot pole, and you could educate me on what I was missing out on back in the day and every day since. Or we could talk about whatever album you want to talk about from the years 93, 94. You can email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. I'm on the regular social media. If you know me personally, you can text me. And uh, that's uh, that's about it. Little dab will do you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great, uh, you know, have a good one. Thank you. Bye. podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue. Andy Dufresne was a tall drink of water and he was more <laughs> punk than me. <laughs> he doesn't bother to bite you jugular like a lion, see? No. He slashes you here or here or maybe across the belly, spilling your intestines. The point is, this guy's more punk than me. Okay. <laughs> Give me another one. <laughs> Courts adjourned. This guy's more punk than me. <laughs> Keep going. I'll see if I can think of any. This is from Matilda. She is more punk than me. Oh, you had time to put these all together, damn it. <laughs> oh, wait, I got one. Stay up, Kane. This guy's more punk than me. <laughs> hey, Smokey, you been eating corn? This guy's more punk than me. <laughs> Do you, Beetle? This guy is more punk than me. Give me Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. <laughs> Simmons is old. He should have been out of the game years ago, but he's more punk than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me be clear. Uh, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% are more punk than me. That's not how you build a country. <laughs> Keeps me sharp on the edge. Where I gotta be. He's more punk than me. No women. No kids. This guy's more punk than me.
How did they smell? <laughs> He's more punk than me. Brilliant, beggars. This guy is more punk than me. I mean, I could go with the classic. You want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. And then what do I say? <laughs> I guess I'll try again. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Nice fucking model. That guy's more punk than me. <laughs>